Right, welcome to this ACG New York weekly podcast. Every week, as you all know, to our listeners and our viewers, we cover some of the fundamentals of what's going on in the middle market private equity world for those that are contingents within the ACG New York fray. And today, we've got a wonderful guest with us that's going to talk about, well, the one subject that is looming large over everyone's heads and what that means for deals. Um, we are now, what, five months into this new paradigm and the M&A world and the vagaries of private equity across the entire ecosystem has just changed, as has the world. But I'm delighted to have with us today someone that can talk about that pretty extensively, I'm sure, Shion Carroll of um, the DAC Group, the Managing Director with. Sir, how are you today? Very well, thank you for inviting me. No, delighted to have you with us today. Now, for, before, you, before I ask you a little bit more about yourself, let me, let me set the scene because I think you're too humble to convey everything that's there. So as far as I understand it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you are a MD with the DAC Group, which is an investment bank in the, in the middle market. So far, so good. And you, and you head up the Special Situations Group. <clears throat> but um, I'm sure has been pretty busy during this time. So... Um, and, and, and with that, I know that you were named Investment Banker of the Year in 2018 with the Atlas Group. And, um, well, look, your list of accolades are longer than my arm. And you, you, point being, you're very busy in these times as an investment banker, sir, correct? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. So, but how are you faring, Xion? All okay? Where do we find you today? So... Normally people complain about the current situation and I'm not touching the health side of it, which is another whole area and that is absolutely uh, tragic. But from the work point of view, I am actually tremendously fortunate because this is probably one of the most exciting periods in my life professionally. In fact, I know most people won't say this. I am tremendously busy tremendous, in a period of tremendous creativity. And I almost feel as though my whole career has been building up to this. So I know that might not be the answer you expected, but I'm giving it to you as it is. Well, no, we hear so much negativity and pessimism and just general disarray. And I know some are more buoyant than others, but it's, I'm glad that you say that, and it really sets us up nicely for, for what we want to talk about today is, is, is your thought process for what life will look like beyond this post-crisis. Uh, and I know you've got some principles that um, you think that people should, should adhere to maybe or should consider when they think about deals and, and what will be beyond all of this. So um, let me rewind a little bit before we get into that and maybe ask and ask how you came about being so positive in all of this and, and how the pandemic, having said that, has affected your business and, and your workday. Um, I'm so positive about it uh, because you can't do uh, color by the, by the numbers. You know, one, two, three, four, and you just you know, follow it and then you get a little horsey at the end of it. You can't do that in, in this environment. What it's more challenging, and for very good reason. I'm an investment banker. Why would a buyer rush in instead of taking his or her time? They're going to look at it much more carefully. 
So there's still buyers out there, but the box for what people are prepared to consider has shrunk. So you have to be much more precise. Your value proposition to a buyer has to be much sharper. And that's more difficult, but it also means that in terms of creativity, it's much more interesting. So for example, uh, just a month or two ago, we closed a deal which was in Pro-AB. And I know actually ACG covered it, was the Yorktel purchase of BCA. And I teamed up with one of my colleagues who is an expert in Pro-AV. And so together, we found exactly the buyer who would purchase this particular company. And we plucked out the business from a company that had real distress and sold that business that we plucked out. Now, if you just do color by the numbers or paint by the numbers, you can't do that. So it's much more challenging, but it also means there's much more of a premium on people, investment bankers, who are able to do that. So for me, I'm much busier and I'm much more creative and engaged and I'm enjoying helping the people. Well, that's probably why you were coined the master of the middle market, which is the sphere that you play in. Tell, tell me about that. Shion, who found oh, that and why? And, and I'm not getting to be nimble in these times as well. I am not getting into that. I was brought up in a different culture to be, uh, to be modest about oneself. So <laughs> I'm cringing. I don't know how on earth that started. It's very flattering. But what I will say is that I have a passion for the middle market. So you'll see some people like... Uh, you know, who say, I might as well do a deal with more zeros behind it. And that's very intelligent. I went and that goes the other way. We go to where very few people are fishing. And the middle market is not well served by professionals. And now also, and something I want to discuss, I think, and it's going to be one of the principles that I'm going to talk about, I believe that there is going to be much more pressure on some middle market companies. So for me, I have a passion for it. I love working with business owners. I'm fascinated by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And you get a personal pleasure. You're not dealing with some huge conglomerate. You're dealing with people. And I love that. Yeah. And, and I know you've written so many articles on, 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 on what businesses must do pre-COVID, certainly post-COVID. Um, you know, what they must do to, to survive the crisis. But you're unusual in also writing about the post-crisis period. I'm not really hearing much on that. A lot of people are starting to extrapolate. When is that period even? We don't know. But what, how, why are you already looking into the future? And having said that, what is it differently that you're looking into? Um, I love that question, Vikash, because... Now there is this almost neurotic seesawing. Uh, we're going to come out of the pandemic right you know, by the last quarter. No, we're not. The next year is going to be all right. No, it's the following year. And everybody is doing this neurotic seesawing. And instead of you have to make sure you have enough cash, all the things that I've written and spoken about to get through this period, because some people aren't going to get through it. But you can't stop there. You have to start looking ahead. 
That is the very nature of strategy. If you're sitting in a university, you can say, I'm not, and I've seen people write this, I didn't write a book until I read everything in the field. Well, that works fine in a university setting. A CEO can't do that. The nature of business strategy is to be able to work with incomplete information and develop a forward-looking plan. And that's what you, I believe you're absolutely correct. People are not looking towards. And the advice that they're getting, I believe, is terrible. At most, they're being told, make these changes, change your business plan, and prepare to reopen. And that, that's just not enough because the changes are going to be vast in the marketplace. In addition, you don't just move from a, a normal to a new normal. Everybody talks the new normal. You don't do that. The market is fluid. So I'm going to give you an analogy which you will like, and I am going to get ribbed horribly by some of my colleagues and, and uh, business acquaintances who will see this video. What I would say is that people have to, instead of playing football, and I mean American football, they have to play soccer. You know, football, you have set pieces. You know, it's the first down, it's the second down, we, uh, it's the third down, we get a, it's a running play, it's a passing play, it's, you know, listen to the, listen to the instructions coming in, you know. Soccer, yes, obviously you have to have a plan, you have to have a strategy. And I'm a tremendous believer in that. But you have to be able to respond to what the opponent is doing and run for basically four, two periods of 45 minutes, constantly responding. And that's what I believe that businesses have to do. They have to get ready to play soccer and, and look forward to how are they going to get their team ready uh, for that game. Brilliant. And, 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 and I like it even more. Great analogy, actually. I, I do like it. So, but having said that, what do you think okay. then, to get into the nitty gritty? What, what, yes. so let's, what let's, let's get into the nitty gritty and let me provide three principles. Yeah. The first one I would say to business owners, to entrepreneurs, I say commit or get out. There is going to be much less of a middle where you're getting by. I believe the changes are going to be so vast. You know, just look, it's so easy to see how vast the changes are going to be. You know, what's going to happen to offices? What's going to happen to education, healthcare? And the list just goes on and on and on. So there's going to be both existential danger in the post-coronavirus period, and there's going to be tremendous opportunity. So I say, look forward, as I said before, but the first principle, commit or get out. Don't try to muddle through. And the people, so it's actually very difficult now for, will be very difficult for entrepreneurs because they either took over, let's say, a family business, they second, maybe third generation, or they started the business themselves. And now suddenly, they can't do what they did for the last 20, 30 years, which worked very well. They're successful businesses. Now it's a very hard message I'm giving. I'm saying rethink your business. See, do you have the resources to do that? Do you have the money? Do you have 
Are you in a sector or can you move into a sector where you can do that? And then also look at yourself. People don't, uh, in all these analyses, they never talk about businesses as people, and especially in the middle market. It's people. How's your health? How's the health of your spouse? Um, do you have the family situation where you can go and recreate your business? If you can, then think it through, go ahead. But if you can't, if you can't commit, get out, sell in whole or in part. The middle ground is going to narrow tremendously. So that's the first principle that I would say. Mm. And then, yeah, go ahead. What about? sort of getting into the, the other key steps. We talked about yes. three principles. So, so the second yeah. principle is you can't be undercapitalized. Undercapitalized companies are going to be swept away. You can see already some large public companies can tap the public markets. The middle market companies will not have that access. And what's going to happen, and watch for the banks, the banks are now going through their portfolios and everybody's had a bit of a pass until now. Oh, you've got PPP in. And I keep speaking to clients who say, well, I've got PPP money. And I say, fine, that's bridging you. What are you going to do? Let's decide now while you still have the PPP money. Don't wait to see, will I get more PPP money or not? So the middle market they're going to be winners and losers. The banks are going to say to companies, you get in a slug of capital or you sell or we're going to liquidate you. And they will be liquidating companies. Everybody always told me of my clients you know, in the past, pre-coronavirus, they'd say, nah, no bank wants to liquidate. And that's true. But now nobody at a bank, and I go back to people, each bank officer is reporting to somebody higher up. No higher up is going to say, what the heck did you do? You liquidated a client? That's, that's not good that you liquidated, but it's a lot better for the, the person at the bank than saying, I didn't liquidate them, and now we're losing money hand over fist. So companies have to look for practical solutions to get money in. And I'll just give you a few. You know, if they're asset, um, if they have, if they're asset heavy, they should get in bridge loans, get in the money now, uh, obviously draw down loans, but also look to uh, vertical and horizontal alliances. Um, look to give up equity to get money in now. Don't hesitate on that. If you see that looking beyond PPP, there's going to be a bit of a crunch. Act now. Don't wait to get into desperate uh, straits. The third thing I would say is <clears throat> the customer is king. Everything revolves around the customer. And this is not always realized. It should be, what I said, should be absolutely self-evident. Well, it's not self-evident because even the great economist, um, you know, has, has spoken about it. And... If you'll forgive me, I want to just read something that Ludwig von Mises said. I normally don't read, but it's just so good. He said, all business activity ultimately caters for the consumer. 
The real bosses are the consumers. They make poor men rich and rich men poor. They are no easy bosses. They're full of whims and fancies. I love it. Whims and fancies. And then he goes on. They don't care at all about past merit. That's a very important principle. I have so many clients who, when they start seeing some, a bit of a crunch, and they say to me, well, this year is bad and last year wasn't so good. But for 10 years before that, my results were fantastic. And I say to them, it's a terrible message. I say, nobody cares. Nobody. Your customers don't care. Investors don't care. It's all about now and looking forward. And to look forward, the last principle that I'm talking about is the customers. And I want to give a very um, precise examples of what, of what to do. So one of them is, and it sounds funny, I say, talk to your customers. Today, people send emails. People want to talk. That's why you do these uh, interviews. People want to talk. Here's somebody, there's a give and take. <clears throat> customers want a give and take. Mm. That will strengthen them and also maybe see a new way of going. And I'm going to give an example of a company which did exactly that in a moment. The second thing I would say with respect to customers is, especially anything in food or anything where the customer needs to have safety, it's not only food. It can be real estate. It's, it's a vast range today. Have a tangible symbol of safety. Let me tell you what I mean. For example, think of a McDonald's hat. There's a white hat. What does the white hat do? It says, this is a fast food joint, but you, it's going to be clean. Yeah. So people look at it. You see, why, why do chefs have white hats? We know that food is messy. It's saying we are clean. Mm. Now customers have to find that kind of visual image for their brand. A third thing I would say with respect to customers is reassess your customer base. You might, you know, you think you're doing all right? Well, maybe you are. I hope you are. Very few are. You think you're going to do all right in the next period? More power to you. But what about your customers? If they start going belly up, you're going to be chasing them in bankruptcy proceedings or you're going to be writing money off. So reassess that whole base. It's a whole rethinking of the business. And you also might learn from talking to your customers. Back to that other point, you might see how you might segue partly into another business or fully into another business. And I saw a marvelous example of this. There's a company called Ecolab. Uh, it was a cleaning and sanitation company. And I noticed Barron's name, Douglas Baker, their CEO, one of the top CEOs of the year. Mm -hmm. I remember this name. And I Googled him. And I remember that I had read a Harvard Business Review article, which prominently featured him. And he said, what was their old strategy? Their old strategy was sell more of what we already had. And then he said, you know what? He wants to, yeah, which is great. But he said he wanted to start listening to his customers. So what did he do? 
he, he worked out what else do they need? And they wanted water purification. Mm. So he went and made a major acquisition into water technology. Yeah. Their results have gone through the roof. He's, he's been now, I mean, that's not the reason to do it. He's been named CEO, one of the CEOs of the year. Mm. And he said they broadened their vision and they changed their purpose. And that's that he did outside of COVID. I'm saying to people today, you have to do that. You have to do that. He could do that because he was forward-looking and his company and he had been rewarded for it. I'm saying to businesses today, you don't have that choice. You have to listen to your customers. You have to work out what are they going to need, need in this post-pandemic period. Mm. It's, um, it's all very fascinating. You know, I found that the, the, the best entrepreneurs are always those, whether in times of your to those that will go forward are always constantly engaging with their customers, listening, pivoting, being nimble, being ready for change and are proactive with it. And it's, it's, it's evident that and clear that the, the character traits of entrepreneurs fascinate you. Why is that? Why is that, Shion? Because not all bankers are like that. And I talk to a lot of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> most of the time, bankers treat you know, their clients almost as commodities. We're going to try and sell this company as a commodity. A business isn't a commodity. There's something special about it. That's why it has succeeded. And then there's something special also about the person who built that business. And that's why I'm fascinated by the entrepreneurs. And today you always hear everybody is the same. We're all the same and all of that. Now, you have to treat everybody the same. But not everybody is the same. The entrepreneur has something that the vast majority of people do not have. And our society doesn't really value that. It doesn't recognize how special these people are. So can I tell you something a little bizarre? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a... Always. <laughs> so this is a little bizarre. I was really trying to think, what can I read in this period? that talks to me. Because most of what I read, I just thought the advice is terrible, the analysis is terrible. And frankly, I started thinking for myself, which was actually very uh, liberating. But I also wanted to read some great work of fiction which would talk to me. And so I read The Odyssey by Homer. Wow. All right. Well, there, was very, there was a very good new translation made it a lot easier than what I remember. Yeah. And, but here's the bizarre part. I started seeing Odysseus as an entrepreneur. So there are two aspects to it. The one everybody can work out. He's very resourceful. He's clever. He's the cleverest of all the Greeks. And he works out solutions, you know, to, to conquer Troy, to save his, all of these things that nobody else can work out. So you can see the entrepreneur easily in that. Mm -hmm. That's a tremendous skill. You know, Homer, Homer dedicated an epic to him. And we don't even recognize, you know, the entrepreneur. The second one is even more bizarre in terms of a comparison. I see the mentality of Odysseus like it is the mentality of an entrepreneur. 
he had every, well, I don't want to say every, he had a male fantasy opportunity. He yeah. had the chance to stay with a goddess, Calypso, yeah. where every need of his would be taken care of. And I'm saying that in very delicate terms. Uh, I won't go any further. Um, and she was <clears throat> the, an absolute, a beautiful goddess, and she uh, was the immortal. She would never get old, and he would never get old and never die. Sounds fantastic. And he, he complains for seven years, and until in the eighth year he's free. Why? Because he wants to go home to his wife, but what really motivates him? He wants to be king of Ithaca again. And Ithaca isn't such a great kingdom. And yeah. Throughout the book, it says it's craggy, it's not great soil, but that's his. That's his entrepreneur. Ithaca is his business. Mm. He wants to have his own business. So there must be people rolling their eyes at the moment. I don't know, but I actually think there's something to this. And then I'll, if I could finish off with one thought, at the end of the epic, he's remember, he's, they call him the most suffering uh, Greek, the cleverest Greek, he's always fighting. And in the last few lines, his patron goddess says to him, enough warfare now, make peace. And that's the end of the epic. And I would say to entrepreneurs, spend your whole life fighting, but also know when is the time to make peace? When is the time to get out in whole or in part the proceeds for yourself, for your family? You've worked your whole life for this. And at a certain point, you have to say it's time to stop fighting. Nobody can know that except yourself. That was the, you know, one of the principles that I went through. But think about this. Don't just keep on the treadmill. Work out and exit. Well, your, your synapses are thinking outside the box here, Shion. I like it. I really <laughs> do. But I want to ask my last question, if I may. There's so much going on. The dynamics for everyone has changed. The M&A world, we've seen the numbers and the comparisons year on year. But how is the period changed for investment bankers. Not everyone thinks like you, but how is, how, is, how is this new dynamic, this new paradigm that we're in, how has it changed for, for the bankers out there? How are they pivoting? How are they coaxing and cajoling and selling and talking to entrepreneurs in the way that you are? I'm going to give you a very frank answer. Just like when you ask PE firms, are you still busy? Are you still in the market? Are you active? And they all say, yes, 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 we are. We're, we're open for business. And I know from talking to a lot of these PE firms, I know that they're not open for business. I'm just like that, I'm going to give you an honest answer about investment bankers. There is a lot of pain now in investment banking on the healthy side. Tremendous pain. There are a lot of deals which have gone on to hold. I don't care what anybody tells you. There are a lot of deals going on hold, and it makes absolute sense. Remember I spoke about the box shrinking? Yes, yeah. First of all, an investment banker can get stuck with a deal that you know, he or she you know, haven't had to narrow the box for, and now the deal is on hold. You can't blame that person and 
you know, I just I just say to myself, I'm lucky my healthy deals, sure, one is telecom and another one is uh, very esoteric software. So in my healthy deals, I've just been lucky. That wasn't anything I did. Some people I know have not been lucky. Mm. And as a group, investment bankers in the healthy side are feeling the pain. But what I would say is just like I say to entrepreneurs, to business owners looking forward, the investment bankers, I say don't rely upon luck. Don't rely upon the fourth, finding a cure and the fourth quarter will be all right. It might happen, but don't rely on luck. Rethink, just like I've been talking to the businesses, rethink what your offering is. You can't, like Douglas Baker said, they were selling more of what they had. You, as an investment banker, you shouldn't be selling to your clients just what you always sold. You need to sell to your clients what they need. Mm. And very few people have the ability to do that. As I said before, they, they, they color in by the numbers. Or they don't have the psychological flexibility to do that. But unless luck smiles on them, they are going to be hurt in going forward. Wow. Oh, lots of tidbits and food for thought and trinket there from, from the box shrinking to soccer to Homer's Odyssey. Shion, <laughs> brilliant talking to you. I wish we could go on, but as with everything else, time is against us. But uh, my thanks to you, my thanks to the DAC group and, and the investment bankers within. If they're all like you, then they're all doing a good job, I'm sure. And to our listeners and viewers, um, we'll see May you. I thank you. May I thank you before you do your wind up? Thank you. That I, I love the chance to be able to really help people and to get out this message because it is a message. And I'm very grateful for you to have the flexibility of mind and interest to be able to explore this together and for all of your uh, opportunity that you give me. Well, that's very kind of you, Shion. Much appreciated. And and we'll be back again next week for, a, for another edition of uh, ACG New York's podcast. Till then, we bid you adieu.